0: Principal Matters Podcast, episode 233. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about multiplying excellence in your school with my guest, Emily. Pascal. Emily Pascal has served as a teacher, district coach, school administrator, and professional learning trainer, as well as a motivational speaker. And she currently serves as the assistant principal at Cedar Hill Elementary in Ardmore, Alabama. She's the author of the new book, Eyes on Culture: Multiply Excellence in Your School. A fellow Connect Ed author, her passions lie in teaching, learning, and serving others. She leads a nationwide group of administrators through supportive social media sites with shared ideas. Information and motivation. She's best known for founding the LMAP network, where she offers various opportunities for administrators to experience a live exchange of best practices and fresh ideas. And her work is recognized by educators around the world. Emily Pascal, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. Feel free to fill in the gaps on that intro. And I always like to ask guests to tell listeners something they may be surprised to know
1: about you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I am pumped to be here. Um, something that might be surprising to know about me. Oh, goodness, I'm sure there's a whole list. But um, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were reading all of that was I almost did not go into education. Um, that might surprise some people. As passionate as I am about kids and as passionate as I am about serving teachers and helping people grow in the world of education, I almost didn't go into it. And so Um, As a kid, I always said, you know, I either wanted to be a teacher or a doctor. And I feel like that's what most kids say. But then as I went into high school and college, I really was going to go down the psychologist route and um, just really wanted, I always wanted to work with people. And I knew, and I thought about a child psychologist, you know, just working with people in some way. And then um, you mentioned my book. I talk about it in my book, Mr. Wade. He was one of my professors in college. And I took one class, one education class with him. And after the first class, he had me hooked. Because I quickly realized that, you know, um, as teachers, we get to be psychologists, <laughs> we get to be social workers, we get to be teachers, we get to be so many different things, and, um, you know, why not choose a pathway like that rather than isolating? You know, while psychologists are wonderful, I still get to wear that hat in the world of education. So,
0: oh well, that's a great thing to know about you, Emily. Yeah. And you are a storyteller, and I'm so excited to just have an opportunity to unpack your book as well as some of the other lessons that you share with educators and education leaders. And so let me just ask you to share with listeners the, why you wrote the book. What, what's the overall message? What, what, what was the passion that compelled you to take these ideas and put into writing Eyes on Culture, Multiply Excellence in Your School?
1: Okay, so, um, you know, I went into education and all the all the schools that I worked in were very high poverty schools. And I worked in the highest poverty school in my district, um, close to 90 percent, you know, of kids in poverty. And when I started working there, one of the things that just kind of slapped me in the face was I grew up in, you know, I didn't grow up in that type of environment and where some people may have, I didn't. And so I quickly started realizing, you know, that that. I had, in order to learn and to truly know how to reach my kids, I was going to have to get in the trenches and understand their learned experiences to really, truly be able to have a starting point and empathize with them. And so that was just something I started realizing as a teacher. And then I step into a district role where I'm a math specialist working with teachers. And then I step into the admin role. And I'm realizing that sometimes we don't lack that, I mean, we don't have that confidence to have that grit. Of that, no excuses. Like let's figure out what we can do, you know, to to do whatever it takes for these kids. And so when I wrote that book, it is very, very much grounded in the relationships are at the root of everything that we do in education. But then we've it's gotta be more than that. It can't just be about relationships. Cause I always talk about the two most important factors that we've got to hold on to in education are compassion and grit. Because if we stop with compassion, we're not doing anybody any favors if we just feel sorry for people, you know, or just like, oh, you know, I, you know, to empathize, we've got to have the grit to help them rise above it. So if I could sum up the book, it's rooted in relationships, then it is full of that no excuses mentality. We've got to have the compassion and the grit to help anybody, whether it's students, teachers or parents, overcome their circumstances and everybody have access to success.
0: Mm, I love that, Emily. and um, I'll just be really vulnerable in this moment, but I, I'm a person of faith, and I believe you are as well. Yeah. And just this morning, I was um uh, in my morning devotions, I was just thinking about the the paradox of of how how God is both compassionate and just at the same time. there's this there's yeah. this level of um excellence that he calls us to live, but at the same time, um, he looks at us with such amazing compassion. And um, this is my podcast, so I can bring up topics like this um, and, and talk about them openly. But but what I love about the application of grit and compassion in the work that you do is I often see school leaders and educators in general fall on one side or the other, um, or say, you know, we have to have um, you know, we we have we, you know, we have to have relationships before we can reach standards. And I'm always um, and I agree with that. But I also believe that you you can't just have relationships. You also have to have standards. And so they both go hand in hand, that that grit and that compassion. I I, I love that. Thanks for. for unpacking yeah. that. Any other well, thoughts just, on that?
1: You know, just, you know like it, it, And I, just for the listeners listening, like how many times have you been sitting in a data meeting and you hear someone say, oh, well, this student didn't benchmark because. They, you know, bless their heart. That's our, that's our phrase in Alabama. And I don't know, where about the rest of the country, but we say that when we feel sorry for somebody and it's our excuse to not have to do anything about it. It's like, or, you know, anyway. And so we'll say, bless their heart. Like they just come from a bad home life or bless their heart. They, that is their language barrier. We're, we're, we're writing ourselves off from that, from having to do anything. And so, yeah, the compassion is there, but if we don't have the grit in that moment to reflect and think, but what are we going to do about it? We're not doing anybody any favors.
0: Mm, I so. love that. Now, you also talk about being a champion for students and why that's so important in your own work. <clears throat> why is that? Why should that be important for educators in general to 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 remember to be the champion of students?
1: Oh, I mean, um, it's everything. <laughs> and um, being that champ, so many kids out there. I mean, some kids do have a champion, but they still need for you to champion for them at school and do whatever it takes. But then there's some kids that don't have a champion. And so, um, you know, they don't have that person rooting for them at home. You're the only one that they get to see. And so how are you going to reach them? How are you going to, they're the hardest ones to connect with. And then beyond that, how are you going to intrinsically motivate them to desire to be better? and um it's it's everything it is everything when the kid knows how invested you are they're going to invest in you bottom line
0: well let's unpack some practical applications for that emily because one of the things that i admire about your leadership is that you practice what you teach and yeah. so um and for anyone who follows you on social media and and principal matters listeners if you don't follow emily pascal on social media you you should and, and i'll share have her share her contact information at the very end but emily one of the wonderful things about following you is how often you showcase your kids and how you champion for them, not just in your personal relationships with them, but also by showcasing them to the world. And can, can you share a little bit about that, some of the ways that you do that with students and, and why that's been an important part of, of how you champion for students?
1: Yeah, so um, one of my favorite things to get to do is ride the bus. And, you know, that's something that I haven't been able to do the last several months because of circumstances. And um, so recently I've been able to start doing that again. But that is one of my favorite ways to champion for kids because, um, in our roles as administrators and, and teachers too, I mean, you know, but as administrators, you know, there's 600 kids in my building. And so I have to be very intentional about not letting those relationships be surfaced. And um, so, uh, every Friday morning, and it started back now, but every Friday morning, I ride a different bus, I try to ride every single bus once every semester. And it's also a great way to build relationships with bus drivers as well. But that's not my point here. But um, so I can give you an example of a of a kid, you know, we'll just call him Michael. And Michael was a kid that I was he was a frequent flyer <laughs> to my office. And uh, I was getting to know him pretty well in negative situations. And um, so I knew I needed to connect with Michael. But in the mornings, I greet uh, this is another part, another layer. I'll get to the bus in a second. But in the mornings, every single morning, I play music and the kids come in the building and I'm greeting the kids. Well, Michael was the kid that was like hugging the wall. Like he did not want to talk to me. We only had negative um, interactions. And so I knew I needed to connect with him and it just wasn't working in the four walls of our school. And so one day I, you know, I thought, okay, I'm riding his bus next. <laughs> I'm going to go figure out what bus he rides on. And so um, one Friday morning I rode the bus and he's the first one on the bus that morning. And, and it's always amazing. Like their little faces, when they see me on the bus, they are just stunned the first time they see me. They're like, what's she doing here? And so I'm sitting there with music, like excited, I'm like, good morning. Well, so I watched Michael and he's coming off of his porch and, you know, he obviously, it was obvious that he, he doesn't live in, um, the most wonderful of circumstances in in the setup of his home. And, um, so he comes out and I, he's walking on the bus and his shirt was inside out and um, he just was kind of moseying on. Nobody was out there waiting with him when he was getting on the bus and and so I just remember thinking, am I the first person he's going to talk to today? You know, like this is the first interaction he's about to have. And um, so I could ne- hardly get this child to talk to me ever, but he gets on the bus, he sits. Um, a couple seats ahead of me he like looks at me and he's like what you know I'm like hey Michael I'm so excited to see you and so then he came back and sat by me and um, he he's quiet for a second and then he's like Ms. bascal do you see my bus my bike over there it's the red one it's not the blue one that's my brothers and then like he just starts talking and we have this natural conversation and I lit up because it was the first time that we had been able to connect like that and um, for sure 100, we were, our relationship was totally different after that day. And, you know, just an example of of championing for him. And, um, you know, there's, there's kids in the building that I'm not able to connect with as much as other teachers are. But Michael is one that I was able to connect with that other teachers couldn't. And thank goodness we have different adults in the building for that reason. But What a difference it made in him after that day. He desired, you know, he was, he didn't dread coming to my office. We got to have productive conversations. He desired to be better in the classroom and just desired to learn and to succeed. And what a turnaround it made just for the simple fact that I got up an hour earlier and rode the bus with him that day. So championing for kids is everything.
0: I love that story, Emily. It reminds me of a, a, a good friend of mine years ago. We were partner assistant principals, and um, but before we led in the same school, she was at, an, at a middle school and was mm-hmm. just having – she had a teacher who was having consistent conflicts with a boy um, who may have uh, come from the same background that Michael did because uh, the teacher was – demanding that the that he be placed in another class the 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 relationship was getting really rocky so one day the my assistant principal friend just asked the teacher on her planning period would she go for a drive with her so they could talk about it Mm -hmm. and she drove her to the house where the boy lived and without telling her and when Mm -hmm. they got there she said where are we and she goes this is where this michael lives and the yeah. teacher started crying because she had no idea that this was what he was coming from every day into her classroom and it um in the same story it completely changed her perspective and her yeah. heart towards that student which is a, the beautiful thing about teachers sometimes they just need perspective to see that but you're 100%. Intent- but you as a school leader are intentionally pursuing those perspectives for kids. And so I just want to celebrate that. You also take a lot of time to celebrate kids just through some of the practices that you do too, because I see sometimes you'll take photos with students to, to celebrate different things that they're doing. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit more. You you mentioned this earlier about the way that you create culture in your school so that students want to come and learn.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so celebrating kids is huge because if we celebrate the positives that we see, then it's going to, you know, reduce the negatives, obviously, because they're going to want to continue to pursue that. And um, when I first became an administrator, um, you know, you quickly, you you just, um, you quickly learn about, you know, habits that have been formed in the school, in the culture of the school and things like that. And I quickly realized, and it's nothing against, you know, where I was working or anything like that. It's just what we are, what we were used to and accustomed to. But kids were only coming to my office for a negative reason. I mean, you know, and I think that is typical everywhere. And um, so, I just remember thinking okay how can we flip this you know how because i was brand new i didn't know these kids and i didn't want my office to be like a punishment you know i wanted it to be a place that kids looked forward to as well and so um we just started doing a you know positive phone calls home and we have we're the cubs at our school we're the cedar hill cubs and so we started a cub award and um we we formed it together it was not something that i came up with it was something that we came up with as a school And um, we just talked about, you know, um, momentum is the greatest of all change agents is what John Maxwell says. And it's my favorite quote, but we gained momentum together of how we were going to start flipping this where, you know, kids desired to um, be recognized for positive things. And um, so, yeah, every single day kids are getting cub awards in our school. And when it happens, I literally try to drop what I'm doing. And we go and we make a positive phone call home on speakerphone with the kid and the parent, you know, all present. Um, and it is just the most beautiful moment that um, getting to create that moment for the parent and for the kid to experience that because you just, you can tell quickly um, which ones it doesn't happen very often for. You know, you like so many parents, it's such a good learning experience for them because they don't often you know, stuff what they're doing to celebrate their child. And so um, there's been lots of tears and laughter and happy moments. And it's just a wonderful way to to connect with even the parent in that moment. And uh, oh, just seeing the kids' faces. I love to record it. I, you know, I get permission about it and all that. But I love to video it and just share on social media just to give others ideas. Because it's so heartfelt, you know, when you see the kid just beaming, getting to tell their parents something great that they did.
0: Well, and you've even continued that practice during a pandemic, which is just uh, something I'd like to just park on for just a moment, too, because I know that there's mm-hmm. a lot of listeners to this show, who, both here in the U.S. and, and I have listeners overseas as well, who have been trying to manage during a pandemic with the, with Mm. safety protocols, some who have just been working virtually and they're now finally at the point uh, if they're, especially if they're in high population urban areas where they're finally transitioning back into school. Um, I'd love to just ask you, Emily, what that experience has been like for you and some of the lessons that you've been learning um, that might help principals to know how do you hold on to that culture, even when you're so focused on safety? Oh
1: goodness. I know. (laughs) Okay. So um, we, oh goodness well it's all about it wasn't about me doing it it was about us doing it you know first of all because it's nothing that i did alone i mean our teachers oh my goodness like here's the thing when you when you're faced in, with with tough circumstances um it's not going to make or break your culture it's going to reveal it and then and, and so that's what this pandemic did you know it, for our school was it didn't make or break us it revealed what we were made of and so I remember back in March, you know, when we all shut down and two weeks later, um, you know, we shut down for the year. But in between those two weeks, our teachers started to panic because they had a feeling we were seeing what was happening in other states. And when we just had a feeling we were about to close for the year. And um, last year, home visits has kind of been something that I've done, you know, for years, um, just in my teaching and, and, and things like that. But it's very foreign to most people. And that's something that I've realized. But it was foreign at our school. Well, the teachers get together and they were like, "What now, Miss Pascal? What are we going to do?" And so, um, you know, they're just texting me, and I'm sitting there at night and I'm thinking, "I don't know." I mean, I did not know what to do, and I know every administrator felt like that because safety, safety is number one. And what do you do when when safety is a concern? And so, I just remember this was before like we were wearing masks or you know shutting down, and we were just in the in between phase. And we got together one night. Our, um, I would say half of our staff. And um, they get together and we just sit around and we talk about it. <laughs> what are we going to do? Because we might be closing for the year. What are we going to do about it? And um, so they knew that the number one thing they needed to do is stay connected with their kids. You know, that was just kind of the conclusion that we all came to. How are we going to do that? And where for, where um, home visits were foreign before, they started doing them regularly. And I'm not talking about going in the home. I don't want people to misunderstand me. They stood they stood in the yard, you know, and stood at a distance. And so the safety was still there, and we discussed that, and we we laid out you know just the norms for how you would do that. But the teachers did; they started going and doing home visits every single week. And we do something called Facelift Fridays um, at our school, where we find a reason to you know make a kid smile the moment they get to school. And um, so they started doing it as their Facelift Friday. And I would say you know we they had pretty much done zero home visits before that, and from March to May they did over a thousand as a staff. And, um, uh uh-oh, I think your sound is off.
0: No, you're good. I muted it on purpose. That was a wow. You got a wow from me.
1: (laughs) And so, okay, so they did over a 1,000 home visits, and it was just incredible. And so every Friday, I tagged along with a different teacher because I was like, who could I go with today? You know, and I would just follow them, and we'd go go and do those home visits together. But, um, oh, it was just unbelievable. You know, we'd have teachers that sat at a distance and read every single one of their students a book or a different teacher would bring them a different you know surprise every you know what if it was like a fun curly straw you know as a kindergarten teacher whatever they had to do and so then we're about you know so all of that happened we grew so much from March to May and then you know summer happens and we all kind of take a break because we all needed a break we were exhausted but then you know August hit and, you know, we're still being thrown all the things that we can't do because of safety. And it was heart wrenching because we couldn't open our schools up. Right. We couldn't have parent nights and, you know, and let the teachers meet the parent. And it was just breaking everyone's hearts because we realize now how important parent connection is <laughs> during the pandemic, especially. And so, um, so back then in August, I just, I was feeling really defeated about we couldn't have the parents in the building and it, it was what it was, but it still was really just um, discouraging. And so the teachers came up with the idea, let's go and do a home visit to meet the kids. And so uh, the majority, I won't say every single one of them, but it was like a very small handful that didn't um, do it. And that was fine. That was their decision. And, uh, but the majority of our staff, that's how they went and met their kids. And so, um because typically we mail out like a brochure to let the kids know like it's a big mail out day and the kids are excited to find out who their teacher was well this year it was somebody's going to come and knock on your door and that's going to be who your teacher is that's how you get to meet your teacher this year and so um again we just you know we our teachers have literally been on thousands of home visits and so they knew our kids circumstances before they before the first day of school, they had met the parents before the first day of school. And I'm just so proud of them. I mean, they just, they proved what they were made of. And during oh all of that. Oh my
0: gosh, that's amazing, Emily. And what I love about that too, is just the ability of educators to pivot when necessary. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've just been so encouraged. And and I know there are some heartbreaking stories of, of kids who have been, who we've lost through this or our connections that have been lost. But yeah. when you think about how your school community pivoted in that situation, it's just such a beautiful example of how teachers have really invested in their own innovation to figure out ways to reach kids like never yeah. before. And and what, what's what been the fruit of that as you've stepped into this year? Because you guys have had to continue protocols. I know you've, you've yeah. I'm sure there have been times where you've had to cancel schools. So what does that look like as you've gone through the school year?
1: Well, we have, um, there's been some tough, I mean, December was a hard month at our school and we were hit hard, not so much with positive cases. It's the quarantine. And I think everybody could agree with that. It's the, it's the amount that you have to quarantine (laughs) because of one positive case. And December was the hardest month that we've had. And it was just, we were getting understaffed. You know, I really thought, are we about to have to close our school for a few days? Um, But we didn't. I mean, you know, we all, (laughs) it was all hands on deck. One day, you know, my, my principal and I would be uh, substituting in rooms. And then the next day I was serving lunch and, you know, we just did what we had to do and um, whatever we had to do, because we didn't want to close. And, um, but yeah, days are hard. I mean, there, it has been a very, very, very hard year. I don't, I don't want to act like it hasn't, but it flares up. And then it goes back down and it's just all about staying calm. You know, like we just have to stay calm and realize our reality in that moment and do whatever we've got to do to get through it. And then, you know, it, it it, it levels out. It levels out.
0: Well, I want to bring that full circle to something you said earlier, which is your commitment to both compassion and grit, which is what you guys have been demonstrating all year long too. Through the, the craziest year that I've ever seen educators have to serve students. And, and it looks different everywhere, Emily, but, but uh, kudos for the great work that you and your staff have been doing in serving kiddos, because, um, you know, when you wrote this book, you were writing this book before a pandemic began. And and now that you have this book in the hands of educators, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to just wrap up this conversation with what thoughts would you like to leave with educators who are still trying to figure out how they can multiply excellence, even in the middle of a pandemic year?
1: Yeah. One of the things that um, I would say, and I talk about it in the book a lot, is championing for kids is huge. Merchant of Hope, it's huge. You know, all of those things are big. But as school leaders and as teachers, one of the most powerful things that we can do is carry the banner for our school. And, you know, during hard times, it's easy to go silent. And and I'm talking about on social media or whatever, you know, it's easy just to go silent because of discouragement. And that's one of the most dangerous things that you can do. Because right now we have, I mean, I can't, I don't even know the amount of kids in our nation that we've got that are still learning virtually. But it's very dangerous to think about, you know, how long are some of these kids going to stay virtual if we don't do something about it and what are we doing to carry the banner for our school so that it makes these kids want to be back in our building because that's the number one thing and not not all kids I know that some kids learn best virtually I'm not talking about that but most kids don't and most kids need to be back in our building and that needs to be our number one question what are we going to do to get kids back in the building and how are you carrying the banner for your school and are you portraying it in a way right now that makes people want to be a part of it Because that was another question that we were asking ourselves so much um, from March to May and during the summer. What are we going to do to make these kids want to bust through our doors? Because I didn't want to have 40 or 50 percent of our kids in the building. I wanted all of them. And so, you know, we started, and, and I'm saying, I'm bra- I am I am going to brag about our school because I'm so proud of our teachers here, but we started our school year with the most kids, the highest percentage of kids back in our building, in our district, and in surrounding schools around us. And it was over 80% of our kids wanted to be back. And then, you know, after January, we um, had like a uh, where the kids could choose again, they had to choose for a whole semester in our district, and so then in January they could. The kids that were virtual could come back if they wanted. And now um, we have like well over 90% of our kids, maybe 95% of our kids, back in the building right now. And that, that speaks hi, very highly of our teachers and of of the culture that and the investment that they've created um, over these last few months. They gave the kids and the parents something that they wanted to be a part of, and it's all about carrying the banner right now. So if that's something that you have not been doing, I highly recommend it. It makes a huge difference, not only in the parents and and their trust in in putting their child in your school, but it makes a difference in the teachers and what they get to be a part of and where they're working each day. It's critical.
0: I agree. And I know that Principal Matters listeners will resonate with everything that you're saying, but I just want to reemphasize that, Emily, that especially in in the politics that have been involved in COVID and pandemic and states mm-hmm. that, are, that are always consistently pushing for more choice and those of us that have let in or lead in public schools whatever setting you're in listeners, whether you're in a public or a virtual or a or private yeah. or a charter, when you carry the banner for your school, you yeah. give people reasons yeah. to want to be a part of it. Um, yeah. then, and if you're not carrying that banner, then don't, then, then you shouldn't be asking if you're not carrying that banner for your school, then you shouldn't be surprised when people are attracted to other places. And, yeah. and so often Emily, and I know you're, um, I, I know you live this all the time, Uh, And I heard you say this earlier, too, that if you're not overwhelming your community with the positives that are happening in your school, then they're going to believe only the negatives that they perceive or that they see. And so it's a responsibility Mm -hmm. and a privilege for leaders um, to celebrate um, and carry the banner for their schools.
1: Yeah. And tell your story, because if you don't, someone else will. And social media Mm -hmm. is a beautiful thing. You know, like we, we sometimes talk about it being a negative. It is it is you can, uh, it, I mean, it can transform the, the culture of your school if you do it right and mm-hmm. tell your school story on a daily basis or someone else will, because when, when there's an absence of knowledge, they're going to create <laughs> what they think is happening. And so, you know, put it right in front of their faces, what you're doing each day and they're, they're going to appreciate it and want to continue to be a part of it.
0: Well, Emily, Paschal is the author of Eyes on Culture, Multiply Excellence in Your School, and Principal Matters listeners, you can find this book at ConnectEd, two Ds, ConnectEd.org, or on Amazon. Emily, how can people stay connected with you if they want to follow you on social media or reach out to you? How can they find your contact information?
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Voxer, and it's all the same username, Emily A. Paschal. Um, on all three of them. So I'm on them pretty regularly.
0: And can you share the handle that you use for the chat that you lead?
1: Yes. So every Monday night at eight o'clock central, we have um, an elementary AP network where um, administrators from across the country come on. And if, if you're an aspiring administrator, join us, but it's hashtag E L E M AP network. And uh, it's about, a, it's a 30 minute chat. So join us anytime.
0: Well, some of Matters listeners, I want to thank you for the time that you've taken to listen this week. And I just want to encourage you to connect with Emily and her resources. Also, as you think about the summer and even into the fall in your organizing or scheduling professional learning. I know that Emily is available on a limited basis because she's also a school leader, but Emily, I know they can reach out to you because you do uh, profound uh, professional learning for educators around the U S and thank you for the work that you've been doing Emily and serving your schools and principal matters listeners. Thanks for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you next week.